Guys, welcome to the Bitcoin with Dini podcast, and uh, we've got Daniel Prince here with us today. Welcome, Daniel. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, apologies again for the, uh, the the misalignment of the the first try at this. So uh, yeah, but good to be on. Thank you for everything you're doing. Awesome, man. Well, well, we know you're a busy guy, and we appreciate your time. And uh, I want to get straight into stuff because uh, a lot of my listeners, I try and focus on the people who aren't Bitcoiners, and 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 because they're, I think, the majority of the world that I want to help orange pill. So um, we've got a community and uh, we've got people who are half interested in Bitcoin starting their journey. Um, what I see in the comments on, on my social media is people are very nervous about this market cycle, very nervous about where we are now, uh, the newer entrants. So for you, it's like it's not your first cycle. Um, me personally, fundamentally, I'm like Bitcoin has never been stronger. This is absolutely insane. And the price is just not quite the, the only interesting thing to me about the price is how much value of Bitcoin I can exchange for euros at the moment. But uh, how do you see this stage in the cycle? And are you concerned about Bitcoin's price sort of starting to steadily decline over the last month? Oh, the, the only concern I have is the lack of fiat currencies I have left to, uh, to buy in at these prices. That, that's what keeps me awake at night. Um, but, you know, no, there's, there's a thing, there's, there's kind of a saying, well, there has been a saying over the last couple of cycles uh, where um, for those for those of you listeners that aren't completely aware of what a cycle is, that's uh, the epoch of um, the current block reward, i.e. at the moment, every 10 minutes, six and a quarter Bitcoin is rewarded to the miner uh, that adds, that appends that new block um, successfully to the blockchain. So they take that six and a quarter reward and all of the fees that were um, uh, part of those transactions within that block. So that gets halved every four years. Uh, so that event is coming up in April, May of uh, of 2024. So that block reward gets halved to 3.125. So that's why it's called the halving or the halvening. And there are arguments about what you know the, the correct grammar over that. So this is this is how ridiculous some of the arguments can get in the space, but it's all good fun. Um, but it's yeah, it, it's. That's why we have this idea that uh, Bitcoin will forever go up in value because of the scarcity that is created and coded into um, the, the system, into the software. And uh, some years, both years prior uh, that I've been involved in watching this play out, uh, there's someone comes up with a narrative, this time it's different because X, Y, or Z. This time it's different because... We have companies stacking Bitcoin onto their treasury, you know, MicroStrategy being the poster child. But there are many more companies that are holding Bitcoin on their um, on their balance sheet. So therefore, this time it's different. Or this time it's different. We have a Bitcoin ETF uh, announced in Europe, and that's been greenlighted. And we have Bitcoin ETFs lining up to be greenlighted by the SEC in the US. So therefore, this time it's different. And people expect every time that uh, because this time it's different, the price is, uh, is it baked in? Are these market forces baked into the price of Bitcoin? And it took me, a, a, well, I don't know, a few, uh, a few cycles to realize that nothing's different. Nothing is different. That's the exact design of Bitcoin. The, the whole point of Bitcoin is it is the same and it has been the same since day dot when Satoshi released it. Uh, so what's going to happen? Well, overnight, one day when we reach um, X block height, it's going to halve. That block reward is going to halve. That's all we need to know. Nothing's different. It's running as designed. 
Every 10 minutes on average, a new block is added. So tuning out to all of that noise is key. Looking at the signal is just all you need to do. And the signal is this time, nothing is different. So like, like how I understand it is, well, Bitcoin gets twice as scarce every halvening and scarcity of value are, are so connected that then it has to get repriced by the market because it's scarcity just doubled. Is that too crude a way of looking at it or too, too, too Dini-esque of just making things overly simple? No, it's, it's the best way to summarize it or the best way to dumberize it. If you want to kind of use that kind of a, like a colloquial term and why not? And that really helps people understand what well, Matt O'Dell said, Bitcoin is designed to pump forever, right? That that's what he means. This every four years, half, it gets halved and therefore it becomes more scarce and it will get more scarce over time. Yeah. And it's interesting what you said, you get nervous about about the fiat you own. I, I, I remember when I first started to get into Bitcoin and I got nervous about the Bitcoin I owned. And now I've truly made that transition, had a conversation with my wife and I'm like, I think we've too much euros in our bank account. Like it's stressing me out. <laughs> this is like, you want the minimum to sustain yourself and allow for any disasters that might occur, but you don't any more than that. Or you get Absolutely. stressed. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and that's, that's when that, that shift in your mindset happens, it's truly freeing because when you realize it's actually riskier to hold fiat currency in a bank account than it is to cold storage Bitcoin, like that, you can feel it lift from you. You're like, all right, okay, now I get it. But it's not easy to get there. You, you do have to do the thousand hours of reading, listening, watching, whatever it is. Uh, but um, yeah, it's a very important mind sh shift. And one that I hope a lot more people get a lot earlier than than I did, or perhaps you did. And that's the point of these podcasts and YouTube videos and books, because those of us that have been through it, we're just trying to pay it forward and, and help people understand that following us down the rabbit hole, that you know, stop looking at all the shiny things, stop looking at all of the other projects, stop thinking that you're late to Bitcoin, stop, um, you know, getting tripped up by uh, all of these little traps that are laid out in front of you and just concentrate on the signal. And when you do, you will not get wrecked and you will free yourself, you will own your time and you'll be able to free your family a lot sooner than, uh, than you would ever have thought possible. That's awesome, Daniel. I want to wind it back a little bit and um, just get into your story of how you, what, what did you do before Bitcoin and, and sort of how you stumbled into it? Yeah, okay. I came from financial backgrounds. Uh, so I grew up in the UK, in the, the southeast, in Essex, that county that um, basically sucks all the young men and women into the, uh, into the city of London, where the streets are paved with gold, of course. Uh, so up you go, you try and get yourself a job up there. And I got myself a job on uh, a foreign exchange desk, uh, brokering um, spot dollar mark at the time. So that was US dollar against uh, the German Deutsche Mark. So this is back in 95 before the euro when we still had a plethora of other fiat currencies. So note to self listeners or viewers, every single fiat currency trends to zero. That's another thing that as soon as you understand that they're designed to go to zero, Bitcoin is designed to do the complete other opposite. So I had this touch point when I was 19 
when all of a sudden, okay, we now have the euro. Goodbye, Deutschmark. Goodbye, Gilda. Goodbye, um, French franc, Italian lira. All of these currencies that had been traded um, for a couple of decades since 1971 openly on the markets uh, all of a sudden disappeared. Uh, so I had to find myself uh, in a different uh, situation. So I made my way across to uh, what was known as the foreign exchange options desk instead of spot. Uh, and they moved me across to Singapore. So when I crossed to Singapore in 1999, and then my wife and I, we moved together actually from Essex and uh, my wife and I, we spent 15 years out there and I built like the bulk of my career out there was spent brokering foreign exchange options in the Far East not having any idea what a fiat currency was. All I needed to do was match buyers and sellers with dollars and yen or dollars and euros and uh, dollars and Hong Kong dollar or Taiwanese dollar and everything was good. I got paid well. We all had a good life. And um, it wasn't until 2000, back end of 2013 that I read a book by Tim Ferriss called The 4-Hour Work Week, which really resonated with me because it was... I mean, it was just a real kick in the gut. You know, I was spending 10, 11 hours a day chained to a desk working my, the, well, the best part of my adult life, my whole adult life for somebody else, giving up my time and energy, watching, um, watching that salary decline over time, watching purchasing power decline over time and getting to the end of the month and still being net zero, having spent God knows how many hours in an office, missing my four kids, missing my wife, made no sense to me. And suddenly realized that I was living a deferred lifestyle is what Tim called it in, uh, in that particular book. Uh, so we quit, found the courage to throw it all in, sold everything that we owned, took the kids out of school. They were aged eight, six and two, three-year-old twins at that stage and um, checked out, left the country that we had uh, had the kids in and uh, built a family in for 15 years and we started to travel and we traveled for two and a half years and it was during that time of travel we tasted pure freedom because we were perpetual tourists in the different countries that we visited there was no bureaucracy there was no administrative tasks there was no one to bow to i mean like you know with these uh overbearing regulations that you generally have to deal with every day when you're sat still in a particular country. Um, and I found time. I found, wow, I'm the owner of my time. And uh, thankfully, I put it to good use, I suppose, by trying to educate myself around what are the best investment vehicles available to me at this current period of my life because I'm unemployed. I've got <laughs> four kids and a wife to support. And I don't really want to go back to work. That's how I found Bitcoin, going down the rabbit hole of uh, all of these different strategies. I'd already been in the markets, so, you know, stock markets, equity markets, wh whether in Asia, UK or, or US. Um, but I could tell that was somewhat of a rigged game. And I, it really didn't matter how much uh, kind of research you did into any particular company. That was always at the whim of some kind of market random market uh, occurrence and then obviously learning more about how money just got printed into the system which i'd seen happen firsthand when i was brokering foreign exchange they were glory days for us it's like yes please bank of japan print more money into the system because that upsets the market and that brings volatility to foreign exchange rates and that brings money to me because everybody has to reposition their books 
It was my job to put buyers and sellers together. So I was sitting right at the spigot of the cash, the Cantillon effect, and I was rent seeking at the same time without even realizing what I was being part of. So that's how I found Bitcoin. That's how we found uh, more freedom in life. And that's what led me to read, uh, excuse me, write my book, uh, Choose Life, about those experiences and the decisions that we went through and the, the dark times and uh, the fun times that, uh, you know, it comes with making those kind of decisions. Deadly, man. Yeah, I, I really had an experience. Uh, well, I've had a couple of experiences of, of, of the uh, being an entrepreneur and building businesses and having multiple staff and all the overheads and the, 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 the threshold to meet every month just to break even and all that stress. And, uh, and now I'm like a solopreneur. And I remember someone said to me, like, oh, I'm not interested in dealing with these small time businessmen. Uh, and, and, and I really took it to go, OK, yeah, like a successful person is, is someone who has all this stress and all these overheads and all this staff and all this turnover. But then as I matured a bit, I started to come around to my father's way of thinking. And my dad, he was a one man show. He worked at home in his shed. He, he chose to do that so he could be beside his kids growing up. He chose time with his kids, although he worked so hard on his own, worked Saturdays, you know, angle grinders going until 10 o'clock at night when he'd be out in the shed working. And for me, it was always like, dad, we're poor though. What about money? What about money? And my goal was always, I want to get rich so I can give my dad money because he deserves to have money. And it's only now when I get into my midlife that I realized he was so wise, like the, the decision he chose and to not go the way society pushes you into chasing the money, giving up all your time, because the only reason we want money is so we can buy experiences. But if you can be happy with less money uh, and then you don't need it, you get all the experiences anyway. And then I realized, and, and that's why I scaled down everything I was doing, especially during COVID. I was like, this is madness, this is insanity. I don't need all this stress. Uh, financially, I'm very secure. Um, then I went and I took two months off. I went to Spain in my camper van. And while out in Spain, I met families of people who came in in their, car, in, in their camper vans. All their kids were there. They were homeschooling them. The parents done a little bit of work on the laptop during the day. and society would have you think that these people have nothing. They've no house, they've no property. They and I was like, initially, like you live in the van. And to me, it was just mind blown. But it was only then I started to realize, look at what these people have. Every night they're sitting out, all the kids, all the family are together. They're all doing the washing up together. They're washing the clothes together. They're, it was just so inclusive. And then I, my brain's just rolling to go, no, no, we've got it totally backwards. These people have it right. Like they're living, they're living every minute of every day. They're not procrastinating and pushing out life are giving themselves to their nine to five to try and live for the weekend. These people realize how finite time is. And, uh, and, and I can really learn from this. And it was so, it's so freeing and so empowering. And, and just to experience uh, that, that other side of, of not conforming to what we think life should look like. And uh, by the sounds of it, you sort of came to that conclusion because another thing I've, I've heard you mention, Daniel, is homeschooling and, and, and again, that that just blew my mind. I was like, wow, like this is so amazing because for me, I was someone school didn't work for like school taught me I'd be a absolute failure and no good at anything. And it took years to try and unlearn all that and realize that, you know, being an entrepreneur is a slightly different skill set than being good at remembering stuff or being great at doing quizzes. Like I'm horrendous. You don't want me and your team on a quiz because I can't remember anything. But that doesn't mean I, I can't be successful in, or I don't have value to add. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about your decision then or, or homeschooling and taking your, your family on the road? 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I came to that same realization that you came to when we started uh, getting out there. And um, I had to do the research to begin with, like, you know, is this even, first of all, is, is this responsible, right? Because yeah, you, you're, you're told your whole life, go to school, get your grades. Uh, that's what's going to get you a job. Otherwise, you're unemployable. Otherwise, you'll never be able to socialize. Otherwise, you'll never be able to go to university and you won't get the certificate and you won't get the job. And, and uh, everybody wants to be a doctor and a lawyer or work in finance. And the only way to do that is if you follow this path. Um, complete nonsense once you uh, start breaking that down. And then when we started traveling, uh, I'd reached out before we left, I'd reached out to a few family bloggers that were doing this back in 12, 13, 14, and just started chatting with them. How did you do it? Why did you do it? And trying to find similarities. And I found one family out of the US who actually Brandon wrote the, the foreword for the book. They were traveling with their three kids aged around the same kind of age. So it's like, right, okay, social proof. There it is. Grab onto their story, read their blog back to front. What did they do? How did they do it? What did he put in place? And even though we'd come from vastly different backgrounds, we had this, this common thread that we were going to travel with our families around the world. And, you know, something here has to click. It has to work. Otherwise, we're all just going to end up going back and I'm going to end up back in the UK, cap in hand, trying to find a job. Um, so you learn from others as you go. And then when like that same experience that you had, when you meet these families that are traveling around in Spain, uh, in the campervans, which is a great country to do that. Um, there's Andalusia. There was a place down there in uh, La Herradura where they had a little um, world school uh, community and people. And the cool place about the cool thing about that place was people could turn up. You could fly in, fly out. That's what we did. Uh, and we would find um, home swaps uh, or house sits. Uh, we didn't have the camper van, but other people turn up in their camper van. But because there was a port there, you would have the cruisers, the cruising families that would come around and sailing around and living on the, on a boat. So you had all of this mix of different people, different backgrounds, different cultures, different languages, different countries, and everybody on the same kind of idea, wavelength of this is the best way to spend our time with our children. This is freedom. And a lot of people that we left behind in the corporate world and family as well, whenever we would catch up with them doing the FaceTimes or um, WhatsApp videos or whatever, nine times out of 10, the question would uh, be kind of asked towards the end. So anyway, Dan, you know, when are you going to think about coming back to real life? And that really hit me. It's like, whoa. I used to think that was real life. I used to like, I, my, my mind had flipped. Remember we were talking about flipping your mind at the beginning of the show. My mind had flipped and that is like, life's never felt so real. Yeah. I'm with my wife and kids every day. We, we eat when we're hungry. You know, we, we learn what we want to learn, what we're inspired to learn, what's in front of us. We're not following any particular curriculum. We're not being forced to do certain things uh, with this, um, you know, threat of violence hanging over us if we don't pay taxes or whatever else we're like i said perpetual tourists and that was just a real uh eye opener and then when i saw the difference that world schooling unschooling homeschooling all of these terms kind of fit under the same umbrella when i saw the difference that was making to not just the kids 
but to uh, to us, to to my wife and I personally, and to our family unit, and to other family units like you experience, like of course, this is natural. You know, people call this alternative education. No way, man. If you look at like the the timeline of human history, you could like the, the, this exercise, this experiment of taking kids away from their families and putting them into a tiny little four-wall schoolroom with one authoritar at the uh, the front of the classroom from the age of three, four, or five. This experiment is unnatural. This is alternative. This isn't even actually learning. This is just teaching by decree. And the kids better shut up and sit up and take all of this knowledge like a fire hose into their back into the backs of their throats and remember it. Because if they don't, they're not good enough for society. That's sick. That's truly, in my estimation now, having done this for almost 10 years, that is a really barbarous thing to be doing to, uh, to kids. It's psychologically damaging, uh, induces a lot of trauma, which we carry as ourselves all throughout our adult lives. And then unfortunately passed down to our kids and you know they're, they're running those same programs um, in their minds. So again, having that total mind flip and aha moment is very difficult to ever, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Uh, so I've had a lot of people on my own show, psychologists, um, authors, bloggers, um, people that have other families that have done this as well. Uh, they come on and, and talk about this openly, even um, Bradley C. Thompson, who's uh, and, and Peter Gray, uh, both university professors, both ardently against like the state education system and, um, you know, see that it should be abolished and the power given back to the families to be able to choose how and uh, in what style uh, that they, um, you know, educate their kids. So we got more work to do, more people every year are coming to this this way of thinking covid was a big wake up i know a lot of people suffered because they were still trying to run the hamster wheel at the same time that was forced forced homeschooling is never going to work it has to be a, a mindset shift it has to be a journey it has to be something that you've researched something that you really want not something that's just landed on your lap and what was happening during lockdown was school at home it wasn't home schooling it wasn't a um you know a uh a, something you'd kind of spiritually for want of a better word come to the realization that this was the best thing for your kids dropped on the laps complete disaster send a big send the kids back to school but for a, a small fraction they were like no the kids aren't going back there they're not going to wear a mask every single day this is complete and utter nonsense they don't want to all look the same and wear the same uniform every single day like this is complete nonsense they seem happier at home They've actually learned more at home. Um, their, their depressive state seems to have lifted. Their, uh, their, their anger seems to have gone. And then you realize all of the psychological damage that is being done to, to young people, um, giving them the time to breathe and just become the person that they're supposed to become is far more uh, beneficial for society. How many more doctors, lawyers, and financiers do we need? No, we don't. We need people like your old man, that's making stuff with his own hands and providing value in his own way. And to touch on entrepreneurship, I believe that's our natural state. That is a human 
beings natural state to see a problem to solve a problem that's what we are that's what we literally evolved to do that is our best feature to knock all of that out systematically through the state education system is not a mistake it's by design and it's uh, it's something that we need to take a much closer look at yeah and and like he- my acceptance to bitcoin i suppose came from i've been in fitness for nearly two decades uh, and as i learned about fitness and i was schooled the traditional nutrition science and that just didn't make sense because I was someone who was very fit and I didn't eat like that. And as far as I was concerned, if I was to eat like that, that's how I would try and get a stroke or a cancer or a heart disease. Yet this was being taught to us as young, aspiring fitness professionals. And I was like, go out there to all the overweight people and get them eating like this and we'll help them. And like, I had a lot of back and forth with my tutors going like, like this is bullshit. Like, how can you be telling me that nine processed carbon, nine, portions of factory food is better than me eating an egg. How can you tell me that an egg will kill me? You know, <laughs> and it just didn't make rational to me. It's just, I call it dinny science. It's just like totally dull it down and make it super rational. And that was my acceptance to Bitcoin. And what you were mentioning there about like homeschooling is natural and our current education model is not natural. It's a, it, it's, it, it's a short experiment in the longevity of humanity. But as I see the world trending, we're, we're not trending towards going back to homeschooling and I, I, we're trending more to no take the kids. I can't handle the kids. There's a screen. I, I don't have time. And I think the whole fiat thing perpetuates this because people are so stressed. You're just trying to keep your head above water. And I think what fiat, you're trying to tread water and they're just putting a little ankle weight on you. And then another ankle weight that you're literally just swimming so hard just to get breaths in to try and sustain your home sustain your family you've no time to think you've no time to explore bitcoin the way we do um your social media is melting your mind so you have no concentration and uh, you're just taking all these short little dopamine hits just uh, and it's just like like we say bitcoin fixes this but i'm like it wasn't for bitcoin man i would be like what the hell do i do like i just need to get my own farm here and self-sustain myself because this world is going downhill. It totally is. And uh, again, by design. Uh, And um, it gets pretty dark when you go down these rabbit holes. There's a couple of books I would recommend. Uh, It's right there. Okay. So exactly um, to tie in what you're talking about, about um, nutrition and about the way the education system set up to teach you this nonsense is completely by design. It was captured. The education system was captured um, back in 1903, I think, in the US is when the General Education Board was set up. And the General Education Board was set up much the same way as the Federal Reserve was set up uh, in 1910 to 13, a few years later. Uh, there was a um, a secret meeting of, of such at, uh, believe it or not, um, John D. Rockefeller's house with uh, his inner circle of trusted businessmen of how to um, set up the general education board and how to structure it and how to push uh, certain curriculums, for want of a better word, agendas into the uh, American schooling system, which obviously then got 
you know, exported uh, globally. Uh, all of this is uh, documented in um, a few books. Uh, one, uh, Eustace Mullins, called Murder by Injection. So uh, your, uh, your listeners and viewers can uh, check that out. And this one, slightly bigger, uh, John Taylor Gatto, uh, The Underground History of the American Education System. And um, when you read these books, you realize uh, why you're being taught the things that you are being taught. And in your particular uh, situation, um, the, uh, the American Medical Association, that was formed, I can't remember the exact date, I want to say around like the, the early 30s, again by the same people. Uh, so if you've captured the education system and then you've captured the, uh, the medical um, association, you are in control of the narratives that get pushed through that system. So what, what do you do? You, you kill um, like the naturopaths, you cancel them. And this happened, Eustace Mullins talks about how this happened. Uh, how all of a sudden, all of these other doctors are quacks, and the only doctors worth listening to are the ones with the um, degree on the wall, right? Which you had to go through four years of college to get and spend um, God knows how many hundreds of thousands of dollars now. So you've captured those people who become the people that then push the, uh, the allopathic drugs from the pharmaceutical companies onto us, the, uh, the recipients, rather than the, uh, the natural people that are going to tell you eggs aren't going to kill you. Red meat's not your enemy. I mean, how dare you, Denny? Like, what are you saying? Like, uh, have you not read the newspapers? Have you not been to a nutritional school? Have you not done uh, medical studies? Who are you to tell me this? Do you have a PhD in biology and all of this kind of stuff? It's all done by design. And it's, uh, it's, it's very dark. And it's uh, another reason that we need to take a very close look at what's being pushed through our schools. Even at, even at universities now, where, you know, where this was supposed to be the theater of thought, you know, this would be the academy where the greatest and the best would go and, you know, bash heads against each other and put out theories and theses and test them. And whether that was economics, uh, philosophy, psychology, math, physics, all of that has just been funneled one narrative, one thing. And uh, shove it again, shove it all down your neck. And those of you who can remember it best come the end of this semester or the end of this term or the end of this year, you're going to be the ones with the, uh, the PhD certificate on your wall. And you're going to be the ones that are going to get the job. But then, of course, when you go to the job market, you realize, huh, it's a form of inflation. This Everybody's trying to get this degree. So in the past when a few people would have reached that pinnacle of excellence, now hundreds of thousands of people have it. So the purchasing power of that degree is devalued. The very much same way that a purchasing power of our dollars and our euros are devalued when they print more dollars and euros into the system. Do you, like, do you think AI fixes this? Or, or is captured and hinders it. You know, that AI can cut through the bullshit and just go, no, that's nonsense. Like, that you can try and find, decipher better truth using, because uh, there's a lot of buzz around it lately. And, but, you know, I think like, well, what fixes this? Because everything seems to be captured. I'm like, in, in, in crypto landscape, we sort of go, well, everything's a scam, because that protects you, it's easier that, than thinking everything is, is just like, no, everyone on Bitcoin's a scam. 
and that just protects me and then in mainstream life like the, the more i get and i don't like to think i'm just becoming old and cynical and moany but the more i learn about everything it's like right that's a scam as well right this i'm after looking into this that seems to be a scam as well and it's just like is that your defense mechanism that's just assume now that every single thing out there is an is, has been captured and is an absolute scam just to try and squeeze more money out of you and uh and but but does ai fix it do you think is ai a system where we can start to find truth among all this noise or, or will that equally be just be captured and manipulated it's already captured you know open ai i mean what a beautiful oxymoron open ai <laughs> the company the centralized company run by scam altman sam altman excuse me that invented worldcoin which is scanning people's irises for their digital identity in return for worthless tokens that are going to go to absolute zero this is the guy that's the head of open ai and um you know one of the other big investors if i'm not mistaken or perhaps even co-founder would be elon musk who is corralling people now on um twitter he's already renamed it x corralling people now to uh to buy their blue checks to give up their identity to make sure that uh it's going to protect you from spammers yeah there's there's nothing open about the that particular ai that we have at the moment chat GPT, great fun. Play around with it. It's absolutely awesome. But just know that the, the answers you're going to get from that are being scraped from the corners of the internet from information that has been verified and allowed to be there rather than perhaps say, I mean, I would love to know what it says about Eustace Mullins. It would probably say this guy was a, a complete heretic because he wrote the book, The Secrets of the Federal Reserve as well. So not only did he just try and completely expose what was going on with the Federal Reserve Act, but then he tried to expose what was going on with the um, American Medical Association. So he's going to be canceled by the powers that, that be. So you're never going to learn a rounded uh, answer. But what is really interesting in the Bitcoin space for AI uh, as being used as an educational tool is being built out. I know two guys working on AI projects, uh, Alex Svetsky, uh, he's working on his one and uh, Pierre Corbin. Um, they're both working, both on different continents, both working independently of each other, of figuring out a way to build a, a, an AI for Bitcoin knowledge. And that's what I really like about these two projects is because if you were to ask a question about Bitcoin on OpenIA, you might get a half decent answer, might tell you who Satoshi Nakamoto was, might give you the dates that it was released, the dates that um, you know the Genesis block was first mined, some other like interesting bits and pieces of information, but it's not going to go much deeper than that because, as you know, I mean, the the access to to books and articles about it is now vast, but it's not generally going to be found in that open AI system. Whereas Bitcoin is building this, are going to be put in every transcript of every podcast, every transcript of every book, every transcript of every article, conversation, perhaps conference panels, any transcript that they can find up into these um, systems so that when people, new people coming to find out and learn about Bitcoin, they can go to that AI. And I would say, yes, that's going to change the world. That's going to be amazing because you will find the real truth. 
And you will be able to learn at a much quicker rate than if you were just trying to look around on the internet yourself and read newspapers and, and whatever else. But otherwise, the, um, like the mainstream AI right now, I think, is uh, as big a psyop as any just mainstream media kind of... I mean, you can use it for your advantage. You can, a lot of people have learned how to code on there. Great. Go for it. Amazing. Add value in, in that way. You can use it for your benefit. Uh, but I think it's far from being this. Um, I think it's far from being what it's being shilled as being. And l always look at those who are doing the shilling and who are behind the scenes, and those that have, um, you know, the, the incentives aligned for this thing to, um, for you to be using it. Sure. So, how does how do you think that Bitcoin might help fix? education or healthcare or nutrition or politics uh, yeah bitcoin fixes everything right um oh we reckon <laughs> how how does it do that well the, the first thing it does is um what i love about it it's not top down right it's not uh, you know bitcoin exists and now it's gonna crash all of this education system down all this um this medical no it doesn't it works the opposite way it works up through you the individual and the more of us that learn about it like you 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 had something in the back of your mind you suspected that what you were being taught about nutrition made no sense but you didn't have the power to push back necessarily because you were living in a fiat world where you had to attract customers to your business and the only way to do that is to probably tow a certain amount of the line that is being, you know, spouted in the mainstream media. Because if you're saying something completely different, you're going to look like the loony and you're not going to attract customers. But now, now you have Bitcoin on your side. Bitcoin is your unit of account. And you understand that your purchasing power is forever going to increase rather than decrease. You can start making those in air quotes, bold decisions to go against the mainstream narrative and to share with other people those you might attract 30% less customers, but they're the customers that need to hear your voice and they need to hear your um, opinions on stuff because you've, you've, not, you've not had to bow to the pressures of, um, of fiat. So this will, this will go the same for education. When, when families... And I really see a shift over the next five years or so towards the end of this decade, towards 2030 for, for families or for um, young Bitcoiners that have been building families over the last uh, three or four years. Come the end of this uh, decade, when we've gone through not just this halving, but the one again in 2028, goodness knows where, you know, the, the, the price of Bitcoin would be measured against uh, any other fiat currency. You would have freed yourself. You won't need to be running on that hamster wheel. And if you're not running on that hamster wheel, why on earth would you give your children up to somebody else for eight hours a day and let that person instill their virtues and their ethos and the systems ethos into them? It, it, wouldn't, it actually wouldn't make sense to somebody, especially if mum and dad were comfortable, perhaps working on a few side projects, perhaps doing... Bitcoin education themselves, whatever. It wouldn't make sense for them just to like get up at 6 a.m. to dress their kids up in some like ill-fitting suit 
tie and blazer and awful freaking shoes and put a 16 kilogram bag of dog shit educational books in their in their bag to hump around on their backs all day to have them come back to the house completely depressed uh removed from the the family values not want to sit down and have dinner disappear into their bedroom kind of fudge through their homework escape onto a, a video game they're not going to want that and so they won't they will opt out of that system so that's how bitcoin fixes uh family fixes um sending your kids away to the education system fixes health because you'll have way more time to um educate yourselves around this i think now in the u.s i think there are 75 injections on the schedule for a child between birth and perhaps five or six years of age or something it's uh it, it, that's it's freaking crazy. crazy yeah it's crazy when i when i was in fitness and i started doing kids classes and i started questioning that again because i just I'm, I'm never shy of saying stuff that's counter to the narrative so a lot of people like disagree with me and you know don't like that i have i i voice my opinion rather than just staying quiet and i'm in a fortunate position where I don't have a boss, so I can say what I want because I've been my own boss my whole life. So I've known to offend. No way I can lose my job. But I started doing these kids classes and I was like, hold on, like it must be like one in three of these kids has some sort of an ism, you know, and this is and, so, you know, when I talk to other people like and, and I don't have kids, so I'm not fortunate enough to understand that. But I talk to friends when I have kids and say like and they'd be like, ah, no, they just got an old smack when they were younger. That's a nothing. But I was like, no, it's not like because they, they really struggle with coordination or they struggle with this or this. Like they have stuff going on with them. And I'm like, you know, what is causing this? Like, surely we have to look at this and we have to question. And it doesn't matter how much science says you're an anti-vaxxer and all this stuff. I'm like, something's going on here. OK, something is going on with the amount of isms that these young kids seem to have in this day and age of modern health. We need to be open to have open discussion and question the science. Because that is what science is. And it, it, again, it's something I got so much pushback on. And it's almost like to, to the stage that it, 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 it threatens people's security to question it. And they just don't want to go there. They just don't want to open that book. Okay. It's like, I don't care how bad it is. I just don't want to know about it. And, and, and I can get on with my life that way. But yeah, no, it's scary. Like the, the, the way things are trending and, 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 and just that my insight of doing the kids classes was just like, Jesus, like there's something going on here because when I was in school, it wasn't, there wasn't that many kids that had difficulties. There was maybe one or two, but now it's like 50, 60% of the people in this class are definitely 30% have something that some sort of difficulty that they're struggling with. And me as an educator, I know they're not putting it on. I know a smack across the back of the ear isn't going to fix this. Does, does they have a challenge? Like, yeah. It's pretty bad, man. Um, there's another book, and I've had Naomi on my show as well, and it's called Changing Our Minds, uh, Naomi Fisher. Uh, and she goes into this, and she was a clinical um, child psychologist. And it was her job within the national health system to diagnose yay or nay for kids that um, were suffering with uh, ADD or ADHD. Uh, whatever acronym it is in, I know it's different between the UK and the US. And uh, yeah, she suddenly realized, huh, I have not got a free moment in my diary for two years. 
there was a two-year queue out of her door for parents to come in and uh, almost beg for the diagnosis of, of ADD. So then they could get the prescribed drug, Ritalin, whatever it is. So then they could uh, get their kid back into the system. And uh, that for her was such a stark awakening that which sent her down this this rabbit hole of of looking into, you know, the, her thesis was maybe it's not the kids, maybe it's the system that they're subjected to. I mean, and obviously, I mean, I think we all know the answer of of that. Uh, and yeah, you could certainly link it to. Uh, I was listening to Andrew Wakefield on Doc Malik's podcast the other day. Incredible, incredible interview. And this is the guy that was um, completely and utterly destroyed reputationally uh, in the mid to late 90s when he dared question the idea of mixing the, um, the mumps and uh, rubella vaccinations into one MMR uh, and him saying all of the data that we're seeing here not just anecdotal data, like parents ringing me up and begging for me to to come and look at, like you know, what's happened to their child, uh, warrants a conversation. Destroyed, had to leave the country. In fact, and uh, it's an incredible interview. I, I urge anybody to go and listen to it because it's very well done. It's very well um, laid out, and you realise, huh? What we were reading um, back in those days did not tally with what he has to say in his recollection of those events. So there is this problem where we don't have time. It always comes back to time, Vinny. If we're running on that hamster wheel and somebody says, huh, you should go and read this paper in the Lancet about um, maybe there's uh, something wrong going on with, uh, you know, X amount, X percent of the, uh, the kids that are taking this particular uh injection you're like what no who has the time to go and read like a scientific journal who has the time to pick up a book who has the time to watch a youtube you know no because you don't have the time because you are incentivized to keep running on this wheel because the money is broken because the pounds or the euros that you're chasing after even if you might get that tiny little rise you're never going to outpace inflation ever so your purchasing power is going down for good. So you are perpetually on this rabbit wheel, uh, hamster wheel, excuse me. And um, that's why falling down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin, understanding that the purchasing power of Bitcoin will you know, accrue in value over time and will give you your time back. You, as a natural learning human being, cannot switch off that intellectual curiosity that creeps in when you do open an extra two or three hours of your day, because soon enough you realize, you know what, this Netflix stuff is, I'm done watching that. I can't play another computer game in my life. Uh, what's really going on in the world? And you led down uh, all of this different intellectually stimulating, um, all these different avenues uh, and time is the key. Time is the key. Time is the ultimate currency. Uh, and that's what Bitcoin is. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, and sort of the solution that I would see it 
uh, Daniel, or how I communicate it to people is I'm like, let's say you're in the rat race, you're stuck, you, you, you know all the problems, okay? And, and I sort of see this on, on social media accounts. A lot of accounts that bring the problems to light, they do really well. I try and bring the problem to light, but rather than just doing that, I, I try and bring a solution. And, and my solution is, is Bitcoin. That's the conclusion I've came to. Um, and that's what's worked for me. Um, so what I try and communicate to people is, okay, if you study Bitcoin, okay, and obviously nothing I say is financial advice, it never is, but I'm like, let's say you purchase Bitcoin. Let's say for the next three years, you acquire as much Bitcoin as you can, which you're saving. So there's no leverage, there's no debt. All, the only risk is that you wasted three years of your savings accumulating an asset, okay? So is there risk? Yes, there's risk. But what's the other side of that trade? Is the risk of getting the money and accumulating it in the bank? That's what I done for the first half of my life. I lived in a caravan. It wasn't working very well. Okay, but I thought that's what rich people done. They worked really hard. I worked way harder than anyone else. I worked because I wanted to get rich for my parents. So I overworked myself as much as I could. And I had so many businesses and so many hours of work, but I wasn't getting ahead. I was living in a caravan accumulating euros. I didn't understand that you had to invest to get ahead. But let's say someone does the trade. It's like you've risked both sides. If you do nothing, you're guaranteed to lose. You're playing a game that you can only lose. If you come to the orange game where the rules are the same for everyone, no one can manipulate the game. Yes, there's volatility in fiat terms, but in Bitcoin terms, I'm like, there's no volatility. And my bet is, as you mentioned earlier, Bitcoin is programmed to get scarcer every four years and everything else, everything else in our world, we create more of all the time. Our currencies, our commodities, our businesses, our goods, our services, everything. We just get better at creating more of them. And if scarcity and value are so connected, which they are, well, then if I am able to store my time or my, my work in something that's programmed to get scarcer, while the rest of the world is, pro is storing and gambling on stock markets with a million variables, and I just have this one thing that just gets scarcer every four years, and it's that simple. It's too simple, that really intelligent People think, ah, no, no, you're missing something here, chap. And I'm just like, but if you do the trade, like, what is the risk? To me, I don't see any risk because it's asymmetric. This is potentially your get out of that system or, or you wasted maybe three years of your life. In 10 years, will it make a difference to your life? No, because because of the fiat landscape, I find in my consulting office, I meet people and they've given away so much money to scams and they've speculated on high risk things where they've lost 50 grand, 100 grand, their whole life savings. And they've done this over and over and over. I lost five grand here. I'm like, well, to me, this doesn't have anywhere near the risk profile of giving it to some random person that contacted you on the internet that said they had some great opportunity. It's like the worst case scenario here is that Dinny Collins is wrong, Daniel Prince is wrong, and every other Bitcoiner is wrong but you had some hope for the future and you learned and you started to think alternatively. So there really is no downside to, to taking the Bitcoin strategy on. And as I see it, Daniel, I'm like, once you come to Bitcoin, you understand Bitcoin and I've done this myself. It makes sense to be aggressive early, to acquire as much Bitcoin as you can, as early as you can. Because if you see that it's been monetizing over the last 13, 14 years, it's like rather than me waiting five years and going, okay, I get it now. I'm going to put 50 grand into Bitcoin one big trade, all my life savings. It makes more sense to go, you know what? I'm gonna try and get as much of my feed into Bitcoin, keeping living expenses, keeping a little emergency fund going, but I'm gonna do it today. And I'm gonna to commit to doing it for two years. 
and then you can reassess and continue education as you go but the downside is i just don't see any downside because it's, you're, you're leaving a game where you're guaranteed to lose and you're coming to a game where, that for its entirety those that have adopted this strategy have gotten more of their time back have gotten more purchasing power yeah absolutely uh okay so there's a couple of things there um for the people that are listening to this that are on a fence as to whether or not they should um start investing in bitcoin well why are you listening or watching to this podcast right if you haven't bought yet you're already on the right road you've already made a decision those that aren't watching it have made a decision to not watch it and to never invest in bitcoin but that is still a decision a decision has been made there an economic decision so if you've made the decision to be watching this listening to this and learning about bitcoin the next decision is what is the best way for you to uh, accrue it and like you say for those it's very difficult to time any market any market at all but in this sense in this particular arena we do have this constant of the halving we know the issuance schedule the issuance schedule of bitcoin is known down to the 10 minute average you have no idea of the issuance schedule of a publicly traded equity. You have no idea of the issuance schedule of any fiat currency. So you also have that on your side. This is the first time in economic history that this has ever been a possibility. What else do we know? Well, we also know that even, even though we've been doing this for about uh, 10 years, uh, no, 13, 14 years, excuse me, ever since uh, the Genesis block, Wall Street are still not in. Like the, the so-called smart money are still not there. So you as an individual, as a family, are able to buy a tradable liquid financial asset before any of the financial wizards on Wall Street or in London or wherever get to even come in. So you're front-running that huge amount of money that could be a potential wave coming into this asset. So as you said, it's asymmetrical. You have way more information about this financial asset than anything else that's ever existed. The only decision now is do you go heavy early or do you dollar cost or euro cost average your way in? And you can do a mix of both, but that's a decision you have to you know, come to with your, it's different for everybody. Everyone's at different stage in their life and everyone uh, is in different uh, circumstances. But that's something that you start, you know, thinking about uh, what's the best way to do it? How do I get myself into this asset? Last thing I would do, actually, as a fun, no, yeah, call a financial advisor and ask them their advice. Because some of the best scams on the planet are run through those guys. They actually believe that they are doing their best to help families and whatever else. Unfortunately, because of the fiat nature of that education system, the Keynesian education system, and how that's been um, Keynesian economics through the education system, and how that's um, been pushed onto them and how their degrees have all come from that area, they are captured and they are incentivized to put you in certain funds or certain life insurance policies. I'm sure all of us, I've done that. You get to a certain age. I certainly have. Just 
Denny, if I could just have the fees alone back, the administrative fees alone back, I can't imagine how much Bitcoin I would have instead. <laughs> right? right? But I'm paying, and those administration fees, they go up every freaking year. And all they do is send emails and the odd letter. But I can, can I access these funds? No, because they're locked up. Right? I thought I was doing the right thing when I was 23, 24, 25, taking a certain X percent of my wage, putting it into this growth vehicle that had been um, pushed on me by a financial advisor who I had sought out to go and have a meeting with to try and do all the right things. That was an economic decision that I made to do that in those, in those days. That was the only thing really available to me. Now you have this thing, Bitcoin, but if you ask a financial advisor what Bitcoin is, they generally are going to tell you, oh, you can't touch that. All oh, this, all crypto is all like, you know, bad and nonsense. And yeah, but you want to be safe and you want to do this and you want to get at least, you know, anywhere between four to 7% return. But oh, well, great. So you're not even beating inflation. I'm still going to be losing purchasing power. I'm going to have no access to my cash and I'm going to have to pay you a fee and a fee to the uh, administrators of this, this fund that's running. That's all nonsense. And uh, it, it's a real shame that um, these people, these financial advisors that have a fiduciary duty to serve our best needs have not been incentivized because they're not incentivized to learn about Bitcoin because they're not paid because there is no Bitcoin company to pay you to incentivize somebody to invest in Bitcoin. They're not going to push you that scheme in air quotes. Uh, so it's on you, it's on the individual. And for those that are here listening and watching this, keep going, keep learning, keep listening, keep sharing, go and meet people, get in front of people and, and help get to that point where you're comfortable finding an app or finding an exchange or buying peer-to-peer. -peer. That would be the best thing you could possibly do. Get into a meetup and just say, hey, could I buy 50 euros worth of Bitcoin from you? Could you show me how to do that? Not being afraid to ask questions, uh, which again, was drilled into us in the education system. We've all grown up being afraid to ask questions. Nobody wants to raise their hands. Not so in the Bitcoin space. There is no such thing as a dumb question. And if you get along to a meetup and start chatting with people, uh, that is the best way to up your knowledge very, very quickly. Deadly. With the pensions, again, I could use the term scam. And to me, it never made sense. And to my accountant, I was like, he was like, we got to do this. I was like, no, give me the money. How I now understand it with my experience, if I was to talk to it, someone younger, I'd say, see the money you normally put in your pension and you get the tax incentive. What I would do is I'd put that into yourself. I'd put it into your own education. Make yourself worth more. Even if you're an employee and you don't, have anything to sell or you don't run a business, invest into your own personal development. And I promise you, you will get a bigger return on investing into yourself than taking the tax incentive and locking your money up until you're, you know, closer to death than life when you're able to access it. Um, I want to pivot in and chat a little bit about uh, the once bitten podcast because uh, you've got over a million downloads now congratulations on that i'm like that's a seventh of ireland imagine all those people in one place it must be like crazy to think of that um how the hell have you managed this daniel and what's the journey been like amazing uh again one of those decision making processes that uh is mired with um procrastination and uh, imposter syndrome i think uh, is the best way to, uh, you've probably suffered this yourself. Oh, uh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> and it's crazy to think 
how powerful those emotions are because here I was procrastinating about starting a Bitcoin podcast 2018, 2019. Didn't do it. And then when I think back, it's like, oh my God, how long did I procrastinate before writing you know, my book, Choose Life? About a year or two. How long did I procrastinate before um, actually uh, you know, reading that book by Tim Ferriss? That was the catalyst, but the two years before that had been pure hell of just procrastination. No, I can't quit. No, I can't do this. No, this is crazy. So... For those um, that aren't aware, yeah, I started the uh, the podcast in thirty uh, first of January twenty twenty was the first release, and that was with a fellow Bitcoiner and world schooler who's got three daughters and was traveling around the world in a Bitcoin van at the time, and uh, we we'd sat down and, and done an interview for a, a homeschooling global summit. So I was interested in his story about the world schooling with the kids, uh, and then Bitcoin came up and took over the conversation like always. Uh, so I released that, and within a day, 250, 300 people had downloaded and listened to it. I was like, whoa, okay, I guess i got to keep going. And then by March 2020, everybody was locked down, and I thought, well, this is probably going to kill the project. But the complete opposite happened because now everybody's diaries were completely open. So reaching out to the people that I really wanted to you know, pick their brains was very easy all of a sudden and before i knew it i was interviewing the people in the space that i'd been i just looked up to i couldn't believe i had the access to them uh, and that you know other podcasters like john vallis uh, peter mccormack brady swenson was around at the time doing his stefan levera i invited all the podcasters on i'm like guys i've listened to thousands of hours of your content i can't believe you're coming on my podcast and giving back and they're like yeah man like what why wouldn't we like this is what we do and then Robert Breedlove, uh, he started writing his amazing articles, um, Bitcoin and Zero and uh, Bitcoin Masters of Slaves and Money. Uh, and he came on to discuss that. And then Safer Dean came on. And I was, this, this is absolutely you know, crazy. Very, very humbling. Um, and I just got addicted to doing it, for want of a better word. Uh, having conversations with, with people like yourself every, every day. I, I'm generally doing a recording per day. And... Um, you just get to sit down and have in-depth, educational, uh, mind-blowing conversations sometimes when I've had guests on that are just like taking me down this thought process that I hadn't even thought about before. It's like, whoa. And the beauty about Bitcoin is it, it draws people in from every single aspect or sector of life. All across the political spectrum, people are coming to Bitcoin because they've seen something that tallies with their uh, beliefs. All across the religious spectrum, all across the globe, every single country, all across the um, uh, like labor spectrum, I suppose. People come from corporate America, from all the way down to the um, just the, the solo entrepreneur. Everybody's coming to this for one reason or another and following those stories and understanding those stories and helping share those stories, I believe is going to um, help put the social proof out there for people that are listening that, ah, oh, hang on, maybe this thing is for me, and maybe I can make it work for me and my family in such a way. Uh, that's why I keep doing it. Um, so here we are, yeah, three and a half years later, we managed to get across the line for 1 million downloads. My daughter, Lauren, asks the first question pretty much on, on each show which was something that uh, she was naturally drawn to doing. 
And in the last year or so, we've been invited along to conferences to to help host panels or MC events, which has been another level of uh, acceptance, I suppose, in the space, um, and at another level of uh, humility. Really, it's it's very humbling, and I, and I just love being around people, learning their stories, and uh, and sharing them. So that's uh, that's the story, and um, I'm a big proponent for people to get out there and do their own. So you doing this is, is huge as well. It's all part of the message and we need more, more people, more content creators, more writers, more podcasters, YouTubers, TikTokers. And again, across all age groups, my, my kids, three of my kids were with me in Riga and my 15 year old now has been uh, at the Baltic Honey Badger just last weekend. My 15 year old now has been inspired, right? We need a kids conference for Bitcoin. Where <laughs> We're at a kids' conferences, so she's already getting people. She's getting a Telegram group set up with people like uh, Giacomo and his wife Mir, who she met in um, in in Riga. And uh, we're we're trying to figure out what's the best way to uh, to do this to get more families involved, more kids involved, more mums, more wives to to these events, so we can keep spreading the message as, as wide as possible. Because this is on us. Uh, it's not going to come. There's going to be no top-down education about this because it goes against everything that the uh, the current system is built upon. So it's down to us, the uh, the plebs, as we like to call ourselves, to to educate other people around us and and help lift them up. And hopefully, they go on and spread that message far and wide as well. Yeah, that's that's brilliant, man. And I think I'm not sure it was a Michael Saylor or something who said it, and I I really picked up on it. And it was just that, like, I think, or, or if I just came to it myself i'm just like once you get bitcoin i think it's your duty rather than just assuming it's going to succeed it's your duty to get out there and educate people because it is a bottoms up movement and everything from the top down is bitcoin bad bitcoin bad don't use bitcoin have our digital euro have our digital dollar this is better bitcoin's a scam and it's only and it's anyone who does takes the time to educate themselves about bitcoin you only come to one conclusion you've got to own a percentage of it whatever it happens to be and sometimes just the more you learn the more you own so like i i suppose i'm lucky being an entrepreneur i've always incentivized myself my hobbies i always build business around my hobbies i built a fitness business i still have a fitness business of a nutrition business and then i was like well i like talking about bitcoin a lot so why not incentivize myself to go and do it and i, I have a consulting business where you know you meet me at a party i want to talk about bitcoin and I get paid to talk about Bitcoin, which is just like, it's amazing. Would you have any advice for anyone who sits on the sidelines and is like, how do I work in Bitcoin? What can I bring to Bitcoin? And what I say to people is, if Bitcoin's going to be such a big part of our life, you're already working on it. The fact that you're educating yourself on it, whatever business or job you have, if Bitcoin is going to become really an integral part of our world, we're going to need Bitcoin experts. We're going that your company will look and say, well, who's the fa who's been waffling about this thing for the last three years? We'd be saying, shut up about that. And now we need you. It's like suddenly you're climbing the ladder faster. And that's how I see it. I'm just like, educate yourself about Bitcoin. And you're actually, you're working on Bitcoin. You just don't know it yet. Yeah. For those that um, want to try and uh, enter the space, there is, uh, there is a, a company out there called Bitcoiner Jobs. And you can just follow them on Twitter at Bitcoiner Jobs. And they're posting, they're like the job board for, for Bitcoin companies out there. And they're posting any kind of role that you can imagine. And it's not just software development, but these companies that are being built, they need, they need the corporate skill set. They need people to cross that chasm 
get off the the fiat rails and come work for a bitcoin company even if you just you might even still be paid in um euros or pounds but it doesn't matter you can switch that to bitcoin if you want but we need ceos cfos we need people that are you know able to run a business because just um having one solo entrepreneur start a business in bitcoin and then have to go up against all of like uh, the regulations that they might not have been aware of you need skill sets there you need people in compliance you need people in tech you need it's just like any other business it needs building out but if you can come across and start building out these businesses it's my belief that in the in the long run you are this is the best that um career move that you can make because there are so few people there at the moment you will have the pick of the bunch if you can bring your skill set across and uh you're not you're, you're really not risking much at all at the, the very least your education over two or three years is just going to go through the roof um and you're you know you're positioning yourself in such a such a way that you're in this new sector this new financial asset that is going to be around i mean it's time and tested it's it's still here it's not died it's only getting bigger so you as uh, an individual should be looking to to try and add value to this space uh, because that will carry you in good stead and even if you want to start a podcast you know just go ahead and do it you have a laptop i'm pretty sure you have a pair of earphones with a microphone i'm pretty sure you have a zoom i'm pretty sure your barrier you, you, your barrier to entry is zero. Call someone up, record the conversation, stick it up on Anchor. That's all zero, zero, zero cost. So if it's zero cost, there can only be upside. Nothing is lost. You can even put it on YouTube, free. So to not be part of the conversation, if you've been here for a little while, is that's a risk. It's a risk not to be part of this conversation. So for, and again, it sounds like I'm saying this um, all kind of like gung-ho. I was a victim of imposter syndrome and procrastination, and I could have had a podcast going since 2018, 2019. Maybe it worked out for the best the way I ended up doing it in 2020. Who knows? But there was opportunity cost there, and who knows what could have happened. It could have been completely different. I could have reached a million downloads in six months if I'd have started earlier. I could have had much bigger sponsors. I'll never know. So for those lurking, start. Write that article, write that book, write that um, song, you know, compose that music. It doesn't matter what it is, what you can bring or reach out to a, uh, a startup and say, I can bring this skill set. Marketing, huge, huge problem for Bitcoin companies. And I know there's a lot of sales guys out there. So bring your skills. We need we need everybody on board. That's awesome, Daniel. Thanks for that. One of my final questions that I've always asked my guests, so it's only now I'm thinking like, Jeannie, this is getting closer because I've been doing this since, since uh, 2021. And it's, I know it's only 2023, but it does seem closer. My question is, and it's just for fun, because the price action is what draws us in. What drew me in initially it wasn't the philosophy that drew me in i was only exposed to that after it was initially it was the price action what do you think the price of bitcoin is going to be in 2030 even if it's a, a, a top just for a bit of fun daniel where do you sit on that 
Uh -huh. I remember interviewing uh, Derajiji. For those that aren't aware of his work, um, a great book, 21 Lessons by Derjiji, is uh, an, an, it's essential reading for, for those that are just falling down a Bitcoin rabbit hole or for those that want to refresh you as to why you're here in the first place. And uh, I remember him saying, he's, I must have interviewed him. Yeah, it would have been 2020. And he said, uh, what people are missing is, um, you know, if you, if you want to look at the price action, we, we, uh, we've got three halvings in this um, decade alone. By 2030, over a million dollars or euros per coin. Seems bearish. And especially with what's going on with what we discussed earlier with the halving and the um, the so-called big money or smart money coming in, uh, people are going to be, you know, from retail all the way through the spectrum are going to be coming into this asset. Something is going to get allocated to this asset and it's going to bring people away from stocks and equities. It's going to bring people away from uh, real estate whether that's private or commercial, it's going to be, bring people away from um, investing, gambling on commodities. It's going to bring people away from bonds. It's going to bring, bring people away from pensions, as we've already discussed, and all of these other weird fangled dangled things that financial advisors push. There really is, um, well, there's no limit. There's no limit to the price. There's no top, especially if your unit of account, if you're measuring it against, let's take the euro or the pound or the dollar. If you're measuring Bitcoin, a digitally scarce, decreasingly scarce asset or increasingly scarce, again, turns your mind upside down, against a unit of account that is for ever being printed into the system. It can only go up in price against that unit of account by, by virtue of just math. Like, okay, if you're going to keep printing all of those dollars into the system against and price that against something that's doing a complete, complete inverse to that, oh man, how much more money are they going to print over the next you know, four to six years? Crazy. How much is a million euros going to be able to buy you in four to six years? Is that a three-bedroom terraced house? So that's what I, I, think. I, I, I think we're all going. I, I've said it now for a few years. I'm like, everyone's going to be a millionaire soon, just because your house right. is going to be worth a million for a three-bed house. Because that ain't too far away, man. Like we're already those housing estate houses in my little town that are like you know friends of mine grew up in. So they're you know they're thirty-year-old houses, forty-year-old houses. And uh, and they're going for over half a million. And I remember being younger and going, once you became a millionaire, you were set. You could buy anything. You never had to work. But I'm like, no, it's like everyone's going to be a millionaire. <laughs> yep. And that's, again, that, that's what people need to come to realize, that, that they, um, the price of that house is not going up. The purchasing power of your euros is going down. It's being debased. The same house, same plumbing, same electrics, Somebody might have put in a new kitchen or put conservatory on the back, but come on, guys. Like, really, uh, th this is complete and utter nonsense. So, yeah. Um, to answer your question, over a million, minimum. Awesome. 
Um, Daniel, where can where can people find your work? Because it's awesome. Where would you like to send them to? Yeah, I'm I'm active on Twitter, so that's at Princey S O V. That stands for Store of Value because uh, uh, I believe that is the um, the best way to try and reach uh, people that are first coming into Bitcoin to try and teach them about like that savings technology, that savings aspect. Uh, once bitten is the name of the podcast you can uh, you can find that across all platforms if you're a bitcoiner already check out fountain app that's the best place to go and listen to two two podcasts because you will get paid a few satoshis just for listening to to bitcoin podcasts so that's that's a fun thing to uh, to do and you can boost and, uh, and mess around and, and try out the lightning network there on a value to value platform and my book is called choose life and I point people to a uh, bitcoinbook.shop and that's forward slash bitten. And if you use the code bitten, B-I-T-T-E-N, you'll get a 10% discount on, uh, on any book that you care to buy from there. And they've got a lot of Bitcoin books in as many different languages as possible. So for those of you who are not native English speakers, you might find a book in Spanish, French, Italian, Croatian, Slovakian. They've got all kinds of different languages over there. Or more importantly, if you're trying to orange pill your friends, family, you, you can go there and, and buy your books rather than Amazon because uh, then you're supporting a Bitcoin uh, entrepreneurial company. That's awesome, man. I hadn't heard of that. So that's bitcoinbook.shop. Forward yep. Con yeah, consensus network uh, behind that. So That's fab, deadly. I'll keep that in mind now for the future. Well, uh, I'll let you get back to uh, the French sunshine, hopefully, you're experiencing there. It's a good day here in Ireland. And uh, I want to thank you for your time, Then It's been an awesome conversation. It's been great to catch up with you. Um, and I uh, love your work. And uh, yeah, I'll be tuning in to all your uh, upcoming episodes and looking forward to your upcoming guests and, and learning how to do a better job on this podcasting. <laughs> thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, will we see you at any conferences coming up? Are you, are you making any rounds at all? We are talking, some of the community here are talking about, I think it's, is it Madeira in Portugal? Yeah, um, Madeira. Yeah, Madeira, 1st or 3rd of March. Yep. Yeah, and we are, we've set up the Bitcoin Ireland conference now for two years. We've done a half day event two years ago. We've done a full day event this year uh, with nearly 300 people. And next year we're going again. We're trying to make it bigger and better. And that's going to be in um, May next year, around the halving time. Um, and uh, it would be awesome to have you there and some of the crew. So no doubt we'll be pestering you about that close to the time. <laughs> I think I've, I think I've been pestered. Shout out to Larper. Is that yeah, Lawrence. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And he did say, I think there, I think there's already like uh, about twenty people from that group committed to go across to Madeira, or we're looking into it. Yeah. Um, so if anybody does want to go to that conference again, the code Bitten B I T T E N will get ten percent discount on those uh, on those tickets uh that's that's generally code um that is um associated with my podcast the the sponsors that are happy to give discounts if you're ever checking out for a conference use that code and uh people will be able to uh save themselves a little bit of cash and the last shill really for for getting to meet people in your area and to to start building events if you're that lonely bitcoiner would be orange pill app uh, is a great uh, a great app to download. It's a paid app. It's about three euros, I think, per month. Uh, but it's all Bitcoiners on there. And you can find out who's in your area, or more importantly, when you're traveling abroad, 
and you touch down and you land and you're in your strange new country, you can find out the Bitcoiners who are there, who you can plug straight to that community, or you find an event that's going on as well. And you can go and, uh, you know, hook up with the guys that are on the ground there. But uh, that's, that's all from me, man. Thank you for having me on. Really appreciate what you're doing. Awesome. Thanks, Daniel.